You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. A lot to get to today, including your questions. We're also going to talk about the trickle-down effects of the Packers potentially releasing Jimmy Graham, as reported earlier this week. From Ian Rappaport, but I want to start with this discussion about Aaron Rodgers and his position on the new collective bargaining agreement. And it's not so much the agreement itself that I want to talk about because Rodgers shed all kinds of light on that process, but more about what Rodgers was saying, why it matters, because he spoke passionately about it. In an interview with Wilde and Tausch on ESPN Milwaukee, Aaron Rodgers walked through the process of the CBA going through to a player's vote, despite the fact that the original executive committee voted not to send it through. Now, the 32 team reps voted to have the players vote on it, and that's a lot of voting, but Rodgers was one of the no votes. And one of the things that we learned in that interview was that the original negotiations started at a 50-50 revenue split with a 16-game schedule. It ended with a 17-game schedule and a worse revenue share for the players, 47 or 48%, depending on some stipulations, and then 48.5% if the, the league goes to that 17th game, which it sounds like they're going to. And Roger's point in all of this was the owners got everything they wanted and the players got nothing, really nothing of any value or consequence, not anything that the owners wouldn't have happily given them anyway. What does it matter to the owners if the players get a little less training camp work in? What does it matter to the owners if there's fewer mandatory workouts in the offseason? It doesn't matter. So why are the players giving up the only thing that they have as a bargaining chip, really? And that is revenue split. Why are they giving that up? Why did they give in on that to get things like marijuana essentially legalized in the NFL? You know, Casey Hayward, former Packers cornerback, had a tweet about the players giving up money so they can smoke dope and how the owners think that that's enough. Well, Apparently, stuff like that was enough because it's now going to go to the player vote. According to reports, that is expected to pass, although Aaron Rodgers said he wasn't sure if it would pass. He did point out that he sent a note using the messaging app that the team gives them to communicate in season. He sent a note to everyone on the Packers 
or everyone that he had contact information for. And there was the whole the whole list of teams that their that one of their player development coaches gave him. And he said he got very few responses from the players. He offered disappointment in the fact that he didn't get a lot of feedback from players. The players didn't seem to care that much about this. And he pointed out that it doesn't matter if a majority of players full stop support this, only if a majority of players who vote. It's the same as any election or any vote that takes place. It doesn't matter if um, it does, you don't need a majority of people. You just need a majority of voters. And those are often very different things in terms of the, the feelings that a group of people have about a particular topic. It may be the case that most NFL players do not support the CBA. But if a majority of the players who, who vote support it, it'll pass. So the feeling of those other players who don't vote is irrelevant, at least to the outcome here. And Rodgers, I think, also astutely pointed out that the salary increases for minimum players is not as big as it seems on its face. You know, a $100,000 increase sounds like a lot, and it is. That is real money. The average person is going, I'll take $100,000 raise, please and thank you. But think about this way. You're getting an extra game. So you, you're really being compensated for that extra game and then take taxes out of that. Roger's point was, in addition to what you would have been compensated anyway for that extra game, it really comes out to be about an extra thirty grand. Now, again, that is real money to a lot of people, but to an NFL player, especially making a minimum salary, you're making a couple hundred grand. Is thirty grand really worth another game of wear and tear on your body, another opportunity to get injured and lose your future earning potential? That doesn't make any sense. Shorter training camp and marijuana testing is, is not enough to give up the opportunity to make more money. And that's what the players did. He had this great line. He said, tell me what I can go back and tell my veteran players. What are we getting for the 17th game? And he asked that rhetorically because the answer is nothing. Really, nothing of any consequence. And again, certainly nothing that the, the owners would not have been happy to give up otherwise. It doesn't matter to them how long training camp is. It doesn't matter to the owners if, if players can, can test or not test positive. It doesn't matter, but it matters to the players, and the owners pretended like it matters, I guess, as a negotiating tactic, or otherwise I don't know why the players would give in. Why did the players give back money? It doesn't make any sense. Now, one of the other interesting parts of this interview was Rodgers being asked about the Packers potentially drafting a quarterback. And he took that question on, you know, head on and said, I'm a realist. But he also said that he's confident a young player is not going to beat him out anytime soon. That he feels like he's got you know plenty of years left. And if the Packers want to draft someone, he understands. They have to do what's best for the organization. He understands it's a business. He made it seem like, fine, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'll go beat him out. And that, that tracks with everything we know about Aaron Rodgers' attitude about pretty much anything. You give him an opportunity to compete, and he's going to compete. It's going to bring the best out in him. Of course, he would rather, I assume, them draft a player who can help them right away. And that's what he said, more or less. I mean, he didn't come right out and say it, but he said, you know, 
the preference would be to draft a player who's going to come in and help you right away, or at least early on. And if it's a quarterback, the presumption is he's not going to play early. So Aaron Rodgers understands the calculation here too. And I don't think anyone should think he's going to be intimidated by what's going on if the Packers draft a rookie quarterback. It's just not going to happen. Now, we're going to get to a lot of questions coming up, stuff from you guys. And I just want to tell you, I, I so appreciate every, every time I, I hear from any of you, really, about you know what you're interested in, what your question is, what your comment is. And some, every once in a while, you, I'll get a question that I just am like, this is this is really cool that I have such great listeners and people who who follow what's happening here. It's sort of like the old Bill Simmons joke at the end of every mailbag column. He would he would print the most ridiculous questions and and say, these are my readers. And it was a badge of honor. You, you, you sort of wanted to be the guy who was featured because it, it was a, a quirk. It was a, and you knew it was a unique audience and it was a big audience. Clearly, I got a voicemail on the Locked on Packers fan hotline that just made me die laughing and it is just a testament to how awesome you guys are hey peter what's happening uh this is ryan from greenville wisconsin um and i'm just calling because i need help performing um it's not that i can't perform i'm just looking for a little extra function um, a couple things. I, I just, I like something chewable. Um, I don't like swallowing pills. Um, something FDA approved would be great. Um, preferably with the same active ingredients as some of the name brand drugs. Um, I don't like in-person doctor visits. Um, and I just, I don't like awkwardness. So if we could have something with a little less awkwardness, that would be great. Um, I'm sorry. I know this doesn't have anything to do with football. Uh, You just seem like you might be able to help. Um, Thank you for the wonderful content, and go Pack Go. All right, so I want to get to your questions, and we have a bunch of them about the tight end, but let's start with the the report from Ian Rappaport from NFL Network that the Packers plan to move on from Jimmy Graham, and that has major salary cap implications, $8 million off the cap in 2020, and – It is important because it is not just the case that if you're going to pay Corey Littleton $13 million, that you say, okay, well, that $8 million is not going to cover it. Well, that's not quite true. You go back to last offseason when Brian Gutekunst handed out huge contracts. I mean, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith each got double-digit millions by average annual value. Okay, but they're not going to get it in 2019 on the cap because of the way those deals are structured. And so the the Packers could go out and sign a high priority free agent and have it cost less than that eight million on the cap. 2019, Zadarius Smith's cap number was seven point two five million. Preston Smith's was $6 million. Zadarius Smith's average annual value is $16.5 million, more than double what he was going to cost in 2020. And the reason you can do this, this is not just kicking the can down the road. The reason you can do this is, number one, guaranteed money you can spread out. So you give a signing bonus, you guarantee that money as a bonus, and it is spread out over the life of the contract. So the Packers guaranteed $20 million to Zadarius Smith in a signing bonus. It gets spread out over four years. 
Zedaria Smith's base salary in 2019 was a million dollars. A million dollars. Now, he already got his 20, so he's like, whatever, a million dollars. It's two million in 2020, but he counts 17 on the cap. This is, this is a lot of cap math. And, and as we learned with that, that clip that went viral, people are, are not great at math, Brian Williams included. But it would be easy to sign, let's say, a Corey Littleton or an Austin Hooper or a Joe Schilbert or, who, or whoever it is and have their 2020 cap cost be below $8 million. And that's just the gram money. Now, you can, you can still create some more space with Lane Taylor, create some more space restructuring Corey Lindsley. There's plenty of, of room to operate. Now, as we discussed yesterday, the Brian Bulaga situation is more difficult to manage because he's not going to get a long-term deal. He's probably going to get a two-year deal. Even if it's a three-year deal, it's harder to hide that money in a multi-year deal that's only two or three years versus a deal that's four or five, just because you can't spread out that guaranteed money as much and you can't do this kind of cap magic where someone's base salary is a million dollars in year one. So, okay, the Packers are moving on from Jimmy Graham. It's going to give them an opportunity to sign some other players. So then what? That's what a lot of people want to know. So a couple different avenues that they can go, right? This question from Gary Crook on Twitter. Hey, Peter, what's happening? Hello, Peter. What's happening? Been considering the merits of Chase Claypool at 62 or 94, regardless of whether we think he should be a tight end or a big slot. If he compares stats to that of Jay Sternberg, he's the same height, a little lighter, and a much better athlete. A better option than another expensive punt at a veteran wide receiver. Not not sure exactly what, what that typo is supposed to be, but... I think the Packers would would certainly consider a player like Claypool. He is an incredible athlete, which we saw at the Combine. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how they view this pass-catching class because apparently they want Austin Hooper, who's not a great blocker. And that suggests to me that they think Jay Sternberger can handle the responsibilities of that second tight end blocking role, and then you can use Hooper more spread out. You can use him as your more primary receiving option. So if that's the case, then that opens the door for joker tight ends like Chase Claypool, maybe a big slot type player rather than a true tight end. You know, I know that Aaron Hernandez has obvious baggage, but the way that he was used by the Patriots is is the model here, and, and not a lot of teams can use their guys like that. Travis Kelsey is like that, but there are very few players who are actually capable of playing that way. There are some in this draft. Now, if it were me, I would I would draft an actual slot receiver um, or a, a receiver who could play in the slot. Doesn't have to be you know what we think of as a stereotypical slot receiver, but at tight end. If I'm going to draft someone in this draft in particular, I'm waiting until day three. I'm getting a, a blocking type and letting Jay Sternberger try and take the wheel here as a pass catcher. That doesn't seem to be Green Bay's preference, and I understand. I, I I see the wisdom of trying to get a proven pass catcher and having that be a tight end and then drafting a receiver. I, I think that, make, that part of it makes sense, and that impacts this discussion a lot because if you're going to sign Hooper, then you're probably not going to use a premium draft pick which a, day, which a day two pick is on another move tight end. You just don't need three. They they want to have at least two that they trust. You, you don't need three. And then at that point, I think the the overlap in skill sets, the, the ways that Claypool wins versus a Hooper, are too similar to, to allocate that much resources 
at that at those two positions. Okay, so here's another option. Hey, Peter, Joel from Ohio. First of all, thank you for doing the show and being so active in the Packers community. I feel like I've learned a lot in the past year and a half. I've been listening to the show. That being said, question I have for you is with Lane Taylor likely headed out the door but still a starting caliber O-lineman on a cheapish contract, would you think a trade could be possible? Maybe Hayden Hurst or O.J. Howard. So these are two different questions. A trade is possible. The question is, is a trade possible for those guys? I don't I don't know why the Bucks would trade O.J. Howard. I know that he's been underutilized in Bruce Arians' offense, and that is just often the case in a Bruce Arians' offense with the tight end. I don't know that you're getting enough with Lane Taylor to justify trading him if you're the Buccaneers. Now, maybe you could get him for a pick or whatever. I don't know if that would be enough. Now, the Ravens are interesting because the Ravens could use some help on their interior. Bradley Bozeman is not a great player. Marshall Yonda is getting up there in age. And they are, they've already talked about, or at least reportedly talked about, Hayden Hurst as a potential trade candidate. Here's the problem with that. Hayden Hurst is already an older player, and he's a former first-round pick. So the Packers aren't saving any money if they trade for Hayden Hurst. The point of moving on from Lane Taylor is that you're you're moving on from him so you can save money on the cap. If you're trading for Hayden Hurst, you're also trading for his money. And it's it's only one and a half million, but you're still if you're moving on from Lane Taylor, it's to save money. Now, you'd still be saving money, that's true. So in that way, it makes sense. You're trading for a player who you think can be a valuable asset in some way. Not super valuable, but it has value to be sure. And so if you move on from Lane Taylor, you're moving on from $4 million. And if you're getting Hayden Hurst, you're still paying him a million and a half. So you don't end up saving that much money. Now, you are getting value for a player you would have otherwise cut. And that certainly is a positive. And anytime you can get value for a player you would have otherwise cut, you do it. But here's the thing. The Packers tried this with Mike Daniels. Mike Daniels is a much better player than Lane Taylor. And they couldn't find any suitors. So I just I don't know that there's going to be a huge market. If you can find a team willing to give you an asset that is a distressed asset to them, someone like a Hayden Hurst, that makes some sense for Green Bay. I'm sure they're calling. I'm sure they're trying to do that if they plan to cut him. But you also want to make sure you're you're saving the money if you think you're going to need that money. If you don't, great, make that trade. If Aiden Hurst is available, Lane Taylor makes sense. Maybe they're maybe they're you know adding some some pick swaps or something in there if you really need to sweeten the deal. It's certainly worth doing. And I, I think if the Packers are going to move on from Brian Bulaga, it may be worth it to just keep Lane Taylor. And this is a separate discussion, but he can play right tackle if he needs to. And I'm not saying as a starter, but in a pinch, can be your swing backup offensive lineman with Lucas Patrick. There's a, there's some good options there. So I'm I'm not convinced they're going to move on from Lane Taylor. I think they're going to let this play out, see what their their team looks like in May and June, and then make a decision down the line. Just before we went to break, we were talking about the the potential of losing Brian Bulaga, and then this this question is is in that spirit. Hi, Peter. Do you think there would be any interest from the Packers in or Goody to pursue a guy like Jack Conklin? Price is high, 
but an ascending player off his rookie deal and experience with Lafleur, more money than Bulaga could solidify the line for a few years. Thoughts? Thanks, Cody from PA. So Jack Conklin is going to cost more than Brian Bulaga, probably by a lot. We're talking 13, 14, 15 million dollars. Now, yes, he's younger. I thought Brian Bulaga was a better player last year. So you're getting worse for more money. Now, yes, he's younger. And yes, he could be on your team for the next four years, whereas Bulaga is probably on your team even if you re-sign him for two years. And there's value in having that certainty, both the quality certainty and the cost certainty of what you're getting from your right tackle. But if you're going to pay the money, pay the money for the player you know is good in this system with your guys and who wants to be there and who has continuity with the players around him. That has value too. So... I understand why that would be something that that would be out there and why you would say, okay, well, he's the best offensive lineman. We didn't actually mention it on the offensive line show that we did earlier this week because it just seemed, I mean, I mentioned it, but I dismissed it out of hand. He's going to be too expensive. I don't think Green Bay wants to go that route. It seems like what they want to do is solidify the linebacker and pass catcher spots and go long with the offensive line. Do what they did with Elton Jenkins and Lane Taylor and say, okay, draft, you know, find that that short-term guy to play the Lane Taylor role. You know, in 2020, the role of Lane Taylor will be played by Jared Valdir. And whenever the the player they take in the top 100 at offensive tackle is ready to play, he'll play. And I, I think that's the plan. And I think it's a good plan, by the way. All right, finally, here's a question I think nobody asked this offseason. I try to listen every day. We talked about our best odds and fit at 30. Say you had the number one pick. Whom would you take? This from Edan Geva. Giva? Geva? Sorry, don't butchering your last name. I apologize. Probably the first name, too. That came on Twitter. But it's a great question. I love the question. I, I, I had to think about it because even though – you have the number one pick. Probably not going to take Joe Burrow, but maybe you maybe you do. I mean, there. I think there's a lot of different directions you can go here. Just because you have a quarterback, just because you have a left tackle, just because you're paying for pass rushers doesn't mean that you can't get value from players at those positions. It is a fascinating, fascinating thought experiment. I think, I think, because there isn't a receiver worth taking and because there isn't an offensive lineman worth taking, the intuitive answer is Chase Young, but I I don't think that's the move. I think the move is probably Joe Burrow. The problem with that is he's already a little on the older side for the quarterback position. And so if Rodgers is going to play three more years, Joe Burrow could be 27 by the time that, that he actually gets to play. Now, quarterbacks are playing longer than ever. If Joe Burrow plays at least 40, who cares? And if he's really, really good, then really doubly who cares? But it's a fascinating question. If you were the Packers and you had the number one pick, or let's just say you had the number five pick and you were in a position to take one of these guys, who would you who would you take? What's the deal? And we're actually we're doing a, a dress rehearsal right now for a project we're doing later in the offseason with Locked On about a mock draft. And we've done this the last few years where the, the hosts pick the players. And Justin Herbert started to fall. And I was thinking, you know, if he if, if we got into, you know, the, the, the low 20s, 20, 21, 22, I was thinking about trading up because I am a big Justin Herbert fan. I know that that makes me weird in a, in a lot of NFL circles, Twitter circles. But and, and let's be let's be clear and draft Twitter, 
NFL teams actually do really like him. He's exactly what would be really good in this Packers offense, play action, shot plays down the field, his arm talent on deep throws and intermediate middle of the field type throws, sideline throws. Yeah, he needs a little bit of time. He needs a little bit of seasoning. Give it to him and then and then let him play. I, I'd love that. And that's why, you know, I think that's why Joe Burrow is the move. I wish it were a year ago. And then, you know, you could talk about some of these other quarterbacks who were younger two years ago, that draft class. But it's a fascinating discussion. I'd love to hear who you would take number one if you had the number one pick. Hit me up on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You could send it to the, the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Remember, you can like us on Facebook. You can send us your, your picks there. Send me your mocks there. We're going to talk on, on Mock Draft Monday about this mock that came out with the Isaiah Simmons trade-up and whether or not that makes any sense. Spoiler alert, I don't think it does. But send me your ideas for the number one pick, and maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll have a, a deeper discussion about this next week. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your sister, tell your brother, tell all your friends about Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.